This is the Apex United Methodist Church podcast. Friends, when I was 12 years old, I was invited to a summer camp by a good friend of mine. Now, that summer camp nestled in the heart of Louisiana would come to have a profound impact on my life and faith. The theme for the week? The end times. (laughs) The book of Revelation. Said theme and scriptures were not shared with potential campers prior to signing up for the camp. And while I was at that summer camp, I heard sermon after sermon preached on people disappearing, monsters coming out of the sea, the moon turning to blood. And I vividly remembered not being able to fall asleep (laughs) for fear of missing out on Jesus coming back, or worse, not even being on Jesus' list. So I had a conversation with the pastor of the little church that I was at over a bowl of gumbo, because that's what you eat at lunch at a summer camp in Louisiana. (laughs) And it was over that bowl of gumbo that I expressed my fears to the pastor, and I'll never forget what the pastor said. He said, Angelo, If you don't want those horrible things to happen to you, you need to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And when you pray that prayer, you can be sure that you're going to heaven and none of those horrible things would happen to you. And then he talked to me about Thursday night at camp. Now, for all of you Christian summer camp faithful, you might know that Thursday night is often called commitment night. And so as I went up for commitment night, the pastor said to me, Angelo, the pastor at the, who's preaching is going to make a call. And he's going to say that if, if you want to be saved, you just come on down to the front and he's going to pray a prayer over you and you're going to repeat after him. And after you've said that prayer, you're good. And he said, just, just know that the first step is the hardest. The first step is the hardest. Here comes Thursday night. Pastor preaches a... I'm sure what was a wonderful sermon. (laughs) Makes the invitation. And little 12-year-old 7th grade Angelo runs, (laughs) runs, runs down the aisle. It was not difficult for me to want Jesus in my life if it meant that I didn't have to experience all of that mess that I had heard about. You could say that the camp literally scared the heck out of me. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. It's funny. It's funny. That was funny. That was funny. It took me a while to come up with that one. (laughs) So it is with that story in mind that I invite you to turn in your scriptures to Daniel chapter 12 as we prepare to enter into a time of reflecting on a topic that has been on my mind, for better or worse, for the last 18 years of of my life. The end of time. Da-da-da. Can y'all help me out? Can y'all go, ooh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
As we make our way to Daniel 12, I want to give you an opportunity, if you have your Bible with you, to turn to Daniel 12, if you have a digital Bible app, or if you want to follow along on the screens, to, to kind of catch you up to where we are. This is the last sermon in our Daniel sermon series. And being we have been walking through the book of Daniel together, we've walked through the first six chapters of Daniel which essentially give us the historical context for Daniel. It tells us some of the most famous Daniel stories, such as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace, Daniel in the lion's den, the handwriting on the wall, the vision of King Nebuchadnezzar, and Daniel's interpretation of that vision and dream. These stories that that we might know from Daniel come to us in those first six chapters. And then, in chapter 7, there's a turn. There's a turn, and we come into what we might call apocalyptic literature. Apocalyptic literature. And we see Daniel begin to have visions of what this end of time might look like and what it might mean for the people of God. So in the last three chapters specifically, 10, 11, and 12, we see Daniel have a very specific vision. Daniel has a vision in chapters 10 and 11 that talk about this great war happening. There's a king in the north and a king in the south, and kings coming from all of these places, and each king is symbolic of a different empire that we've run into throughout the first several chapters of the book, whether it be the Babylonian Empire, the Medo-Persian Empire, or the Macedonians, or the Romans. These, These kings make up those empires. And chapters 10 and 11 give us a picture of this constant war that is being waged that no one can seem to win. And here in chapter 12, we see this inbreaking of God into the narrative, and we receive this scripture that closes out the book and gives us the basis um, for our teaching today. So with that, here's Daniel chapter 12, verses 1 through 13. Hear now the word of the Lord. At that time, Michael, the great prince, the protector of your people, shall arise. There shall be a time of anguish, such as has never occurred since nations first came into existence. But at that time, your people shall be delivered. Everyone who is found written in the book. Many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. Those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. But you, Daniel, keep the words secret and the book sealed until the time of the end. Many shall be running back and forth and evil shall increase. Then I, Daniel, Looked, and two others appeared, one standing on this bank of the stream and one on the other. One of them said to the man clothed in linen who was upstream, How long shall it be until the end of these wonders? And the man clothed in linen who was upstream raised his right hand and his left hand toward heaven. And I heard him swear by the one who lives forever that it would be for a time, two times, and half a time. And that when the shattering of the power of the holy people comes to an end, all these things would be accomplished. I heard, but could not understand. So I said, my Lord, what shall be the outcome of these things? 
He said, go your way, Daniel, for the words are to remain secret and sealed until the time of the end. Many shall be purified, cleansed, and refined, but the wicked shall continue to act wickedly. None of the wicked shall understand, but those who are wise shall understand. From the time that the regular burnt offering is taken away and the abomination that desolates is set up, there shall be 1,290 days. Happy are those who persevere and attain the 1,335 days. But you, go your way and rest. You shall rise for your reward at the end of days. My friends, this is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Almighty God, you have spoken your word to me. I pray now that I would decrease so that you might increase and speak it through me. And Lord, if necessary, speak in spite of me. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So here's the truth about Daniel chapter 12. In terms of apocalyptic literature, we kind of get the better end of the deal today. Uh, sure, there is a little bit of um, desolation and abomination and destruction, but for the most part, we are dealing in hope. And it's important to understand that there is a strong concept of hope weaved throughout the stories of apocalyptic literature. Because hope is what carries people through times that feel final, but that aren't necessarily final. Now, one thing that's important right off the bat is in verse 1, we are told that there is a time. The first words we hear are at that time. And that's important because it's a reminder to us and it's a reminder to the people that this book was written for initially that there will be a time when God will step in and bring about his end, his reconciliation of the world. But the book uses a specific word in this first verse of Daniel Daniel chapter 12, and that is deliverance. Deliverance. That God will deliver. And that is an important word to sit with for a second. Because one thing we have come to experience throughout the book of Daniel, if you have been following along with us, is that there are several people throughout the book who assume a certain amount of power and authority. They are kings, and to those kings, they believe that they are all-powerful, that they are all-knowing. What we see time and time again is that their capacity is limited. The extent of their benevolence and the extent of their mercy is measured in how often they choose to kill people or not kill people. They either throw them into the lion's den or they don't. They either choose to kill everybody they just told the whole world they were going to get rid of or they don't. That is the extent of their capacity to be merciful or to be wrathful. The only time we hear about deliverance throughout the book of Daniel is when God steps in to the narrative. Now, 
That's important. Because what we have to understand is that oftentimes apocalyptic literature, books that tend to focus on the end of time, were written for a specific group of people. And most of the time in Scripture, you will find that they are written to a group of people who are experiencing an incredible amount of oppression. And they are written from a perspective of liberation. So God liberates the oppressed. People did not read these books for fear. They read these books for hope. You have to understand that the Hebrew people understood their entire social existence as imprisonment. They were exiles. They were foreigners in a strange land, and they were not welcomed there. They were treated poorly. And so in to this narrative, they take their entire existence and cling to these people that we read about, these Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and this Daniel. So that when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are delivered from the fiery furnace, it's not just them who are delivered. It is the Hebrew people who experience deliverance. That's the hope. When Daniel comes out of the lion's den unscathed, it is the Hebrew people who will come out of their own lion's den, this exile. And so whereas I, when I was in summer camp, was taught to read apocalyptic literature and study the end of times from a place of fear, that was actually kind of backwards to how most people would experience these texts. They were texts of hope. They were texts of hope. One way that I like to look at that It's not just how Daniel has a vision of the end, right? Like the very end of time. But throughout the book, Daniel comes into contact with many times that might be perceived as a personal end for him. At the beginning of the text, he is put in this position of power and authority as someone who the king believes could be useful. But then the king has a dream, and no one can interpret the dream. So then the king says, I'm going to kill everyone who's under this blanket of people. And Daniel was one of those. Daniel had to figure out a way to get out of that situation. We're told in Daniel chapter 6 that he was told to not pray anymore. But then when he continued to pray, he was thrown into a lion's den. A time that might have seemed like an end for Daniel. And yet throughout all of those end times... Daniel had a hope that was capable of seeing beyond so that those ends did not become the ends for Daniel. And if if I could strive to make it a little more personal for us today, I wonder if we can think about times in our lives where we have experienced our own end type of moments. Or maybe we've sat in situations where we have felt that there was, there was nothing beyond the situation in front of us. Maybe that might have been a diagnosis, either for you or for someone you love. Maybe that might have been broken relationships with people close to you. Maybe your marriage. Maybe your relationship with your children. Maybe your relationship with a close friend. These moments where we come upon them and we feel like there's no future beyond it. 
It's into those moments that the hope of God steps in. That's where we see God step in throughout the Scripture, and that is where God steps in here. One of my favorite quotes comes from a theologian named Frederick Buechner. And Frederick Buechner says that resurrection, resurrection means that the worst thing is never the last thing. Resurrection means that the worst thing is never the last thing. And that is exactly what this type of literature, what this book was trying to get at. That even in the midst of the very worst scenario you could imagine, the whole world falling apart, that God has the power to step in and restore and redeem. And God doesn't only have the power to do that for the world, but God has the power to do that for you, to give you that hope, to give you that hope that beyond whatever darkness you might see in front of you, that the light of Christ shines in that darkness, that the darkness cannot overcome it. So now, when I think about the end, even when I read passages that talk about desolation and destruction, and even when I read on to passages that talk about monsters and other things that weren't my favorite to hear about when I was a middle school boy, I don't approach them from a place of fear, but from a place of hope. We should not turn ourselves away from wrestling with these texts because ultimately they are texts that tell us that God loves us so much that even at the very end, God will create something new. Even at the very end, even out of whatever darkness we might see that we are in, God creates something new. And we connect with that kind of hope in many ways. And one of the beautiful ways that I have seen this church connect with that kind of hope that seeks to look at something that might be someone's personal end, but provide hope that looks beyond that and says, hey, God can restore. God can restore. One of the places, just in my short time here as a pastor, that I've seen that lived out is through our wonderful Apex Outreach Service Project ministry. And for right now, I want to stop talking, and I want to give you an opportunity to hear testimony from these wonderful kids and adults who share how they shared the hope of Christ with others. If we can pull that video up at this time. Mission work is something that you don't have to travel across the world to do. Um, because, like it says in Matthew 22, we're supposed to love our neighbors as ourselves. So, I've been a part of AOSP. This is my third AOSP team. Uh, I've been a co-leader my first year and a group leader uh, the next two years that I did it. Um, each year, uh, I found it a very, very rewarding experience 
and seeing God in different ways in each of the times. So AOSP, like this is my uh, this was my fifth year doing AOSP, and uh, it you know going throughout the years you you might start kind of oh I'm forced to do it, but you know now I know collectively like this is one of my this is my favorite week of the year and, and a lot of my friends too we uh, we love getting you know to serve others while serving God and it's it's a big um, it's one of, it's a big faith builder uh, first of all and it makes you feel really good you know to help to help those in need it's a lot of hard work and people throughout the week especially Wednesday or Thursday get frustrated but it's really rewarding and it gives you a whole new perspective of for me just how lucky I am and how thankful I can be about what I have um, and it also just makes you realize how unimportant some materials are. This year it was this year was a little different I, uh, I really gelled like and bonded with my team and we had a much stronger connection like team base um, you know I think it's really important to to get to know first get to know the members of your team because you don't necessarily know everybody on your team and then when you can you know have a conversation with them by the end of the week with a stranger on Sunday and you know you guys are talking with each other on Saturday you know that's important because um, you guys go to the same church you know you need to it's good to be friendly with people and uh, and it really helps you it helps you realize that you know, you're all children of God. It surprised me a lot this year was how hardworking my team really was. All the teams are really hardworking, don't get me wrong, but we just, Team Montauk, just made the use of our time the whole week. We finished our project early on Wednesday. We had two trailers and we were doing flooring on one trailer and we were staining a deck and fixing the gutters on another trailer. And after we were done on Wednesday, we helped team Loggerhead and we finished two more trailers. And that's what I love so much about um, the theme of it being light, the lighthouse was that it, we were being lighthouses. We were going into a stormy situation. We were, we were walking into a place of darkness and we were shining light, like as bright as we could. Um, we were there to pierce the darkness and my team really pulled through with that. They really did pierce the darkness. AOSP is a perfect example of uh, following God's path and uh, bringing the light to the world. Um, you start off at any level you can, um, whether you're a master carpenter or somebody that can't hardly pound a nail. Something that had been on my heart was just that her home was no longer flooded with water. It was no longer flooded with um, pain and suffering. It was flooded with teenagers. It was flooded with the love of Christ. It was, um, it was flooded with good deeds and good work. Um, and most of all, it was, it was flooded with love. And it was just, it was so beautiful to see God's light and His love and um, His compassion be flooded through her home. And the way they really express themselves, they're very spiritual. They, they're helpful. They're well-mannered. They're well-behaved. I just love them. I just really love them. I haven't seen anything like it. This is my first experience working with them, and they are very, very wonderful to be around. You better join next year. 
it's going to be the best experience in your life. Amen. Yeah. Yeah. You better join next year. It's going to be the best experience of your life. Um, that testimony uh, uh, from, each, from each of the youth and, and, and from Bob as well, it just points to how we share the love and, and hope of Christ, even, even right here in the community. And one of the things that I, that I loved, I loved a lot of things about the video, but when, when Madeline said you know, that their home was no longer flooded with water, Right? It was no longer flooded with water. It was flooded with teenagers. It was flooded with the light of Christ. It was flooded with love. It was flooded with love. They took situations that might have felt like the end of time for people and showed how the hope of Christ extends beyond that. So we have these wonderful people. They're, they're here with us this morning, many of them who served AOSP. If you served AOSP in any way, that means if you were a youth, an adult leader in any way, if you came in the mornings and helped cook breakfast, make sandwiches, cook meals at night, if you were an overnight chaperone, if you had any touch on this AOSP ministry, um, I would love for you all to stand at this time so we can just give thanks for you. Come on, I see you. I see you. Amen. 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 And really, as, as we look forward, the truth is that our church engages in this kind of work all the time. And one of the ways that we are going to engage um, in this work this week is through our Vacation Bible School ministry. With close to 450 children signed up, close to 180 volunteers scheduled to help through two VBS offerings throughout the week, one going through Sunday night to Thursday night, and then a morning session from Monday to Friday morning. It is such a blessing that we're going to see this whole space transformed, and we're going to see these kids experience the incredible love of Christ through the people right here in our church. And so just as we commissioned our AOSP team, I wanted to take a time to pray a prayer of blessing over those who are volunteering this week who are going to be involved in any way in our Vacation Bible School ministry. So if that's you, um, I invite you to, to come on up. Come on up to the front. Come on. The first step is the hardest, right? You see how I did that? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, at the end of a sermon about the end times, by the way, so we're good. Come on down, come on down. Y'all can go ahead and face them, face, face out. Let them see your wonderful faces. Friends, we give thanks. We give thanks for our Vacation Bible School ministry. We give thanks for all of the um, volunteers who are scheduled to serve throughout the course of this week. Please know that even with all of these wonderful faces, there is still room to sign up to volunteer and to serve. You can see Miss Norma. She's right up here waving her hand. Miss Ellen, they will be in the Discipleship Center in the room 300 area. That's the big building right out there, okay, um, on the bottom floor. 
and they'll be there to talk to you more about Vacation Bible School and how you might be able to help. But this time, I invite you to just extend a hand of blessing over these wonderful people as we pray for them together. Almighty God, pour out your Holy Spirit. Lord, pour out your Holy Spirit on these, your children. Lord, we seek to share your love with the children in this community, that we would empower them not just to know that they are the church of the future, but that they are the church today, that they receive your love and your grace today, and that they can pour out your love and your grace.